Today we come to John 17 in our continual walk through the Gospel of John. You know, it's a, uh, a powerful thing to be able to pray with other Christians out loud. You know, praying out loud with Christians is uh, it's really special. Um, and, you know, of course, when I say praying, I, I don't mean just any kind of praying, like kind of perfunctory praying or praying to put on a show or praying some rote prayer. But, you know, when Christians gather and they're really opening up their hearts before God to one another, really praying from the heart. And when Christians are really praying together out loud, it's powerful because there's a, there's a level of, um, maybe call it intimacy or spiritual fellowship that happens that, that you don't just get when you're kind of standing around the lobby and, how you doing, how you doing? I mean, that's, that's a start. But when you're praying, you know, when you're really praying before God, uh, it, it's tough to be a phony when you're really praying. You, you kind of are opening up your heart before God and taking off the masks. And, and when I hear you opening up your heart before God or you hear me, there's, there's a level of community that takes place between Christians. That's why I always feel so bad when people say, well, you know, I, I, I pray on my own, but I don't, I don't really feel comfortable praying out loud in front of other people. And I, I just feel bad for people because I feel like you're missing something. You know, that's like saying, well, I just don't feel comfortable eating dessert. I just kind of like the vegetables. Like, okay, but there's dessert. <laughs> there's another thing that you can experience in community with other Christians. Uh, two of my favorite things we do in this church, one is the Sunday evening prayer service. We do that tonight, 6.15 to 7.45, and we gather and pray together, and uh, we hear a little preaching, and we talk about the morning's text, but, but it's that prayer time that I really appreciate, and, and you don't have to pray out loud, but it's a place where people are learning how to pray together as believers, hearing each other. The other my other favorite thing we do is our elder prayer meeting. Our elders meet twice a month. And one time they meet for kind of business and planning and all that stuff. But the other time they just meet to pray. And I love that meeting. It's probably my favorite meeting of the month to hear people pouring out their hearts for this church. It's like, I love this church. And when I hear other men praying prayers of, to God loving this church, it, it strengthens me. So why am I talking about all this? Because today in John 17, we're going to hear... Jesus praying out loud. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus, John 17. And in it, perhaps more than any other prayer we have of his, he, he exposes and reveals his heart. There's a, a kind of level of intimacy with Christ that that you experience when you read these verses as we hear the very heart of the Savior in prayer. From John chapter 13 to John chapter 16, uh, we've been studying that for many months now, but it's that, that last supper where Jesus is trying to strengthen his disciples and encourage them. It's been a very kind of tender, intimate uh, tone throughout these chapters, and it reaches its culmination in chapter 17 where Jesus leads them in prayer. And so we're going to spend three Sundays looking at this prayer in John 17. Next Sunday, we'll look at verses 6 through 20, uh, 19, where Jesus prays for his disciples. And then the next Sunday after that, we'll look at verses 20 to 26, where he prays for all the disciples who will believe because of the 12 disciples. So he's praying for us specifically. But today, I want to look at verses 1 to 5, where Jesus is praying for 
himself. Very interesting. Let me read those verses. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. You know, when, when we pray, we, we go like this, right? But when Jesus prayed, the way they often prayed then is they would go like this. They would lift up their head and lift up their hands and pray toward the Father. Not that one is right or more powerful than the other, but you just get this picture. Praying with lifting up his head to the heavens. And what does he pray? He says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I, I almost feel like I shouldn't be allowed to hear that prayer. It's almost as if it's so intimate and it's this, I'm eavesdropping on the son speaking to the father. It's like, well, if I'm going to listen to this prayer, I should at least take off my sandals like Moses because I, there's a sense of being on holy ground. We're hearing the son not just praying for us, but he's praying for himself before the father. And as, as the son prays to the father, What is the theme of his prayer? If you had to summarize his prayer request in one word, what would it be? Glory. That's the repeated theme in his prayer. Again, look, verse 1. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And so as we eavesdrop in on the sacred communion between the Father and the Son, the, the, the topic that they're talking about is glory. The Son is praying, glorify me so I can glorify you. You know, you think of glory, it, it's such a, it, it's kind of a churchy word, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's a great word. You know, glorifying someone is, is kind of heaping praise and adoration and um, ascribing greatness to them. It's, it, you know, when you worship or you glorify someone, it's like you take the spotlight of your heart and all of your affections and feelings and thoughts and you shine that spotlight on something. And so if I'm glorifying something, I'm, I'm throwing all of my affections and emotions and devotion and words, I'm praising and glorifying something else. And, and uh, to receive glory is to kind of be covered with that, to be covered with accolades, you know, to be invested with robes and medals and crowns and bling, you know, to be glorious. In the Bible, when, when somebody, when God shows his glory, it often appears outwardly as light. And when God shows up in his glory, people are usually going like this because he's, he's, he's brilliant and he's luminous. It comes out that way. But it's all of his wonderfulness, all of his characteristics kind of manifested in a shining glory that makes people fall on their faces before him. And so Jesus is saying, so let's zero in on his prayer here. As Jesus prays for himself, what does he pray? His prayer is, Father, 
glorify your son. Jesus' prayer is, God, I want you to shine the spotlight of your affections on me. And then he says, so that as a result, the Son may glorify you. So Father, take all of your love and all of your awe and wonder and let it be focused on me. Let me be the object of glory and I will glorify you as well. He gets, he's, he's praying for glory, which is, I don't know, how does that strike you? Is that a little different? I mean, that's, I don't think I've ever prayed that. That's probably a good thing. I probably shouldn't ever pray that. Uh, it's not something we should be praying. God, glorify me. <laughs> we don't, that's not a, a believer's prayer. I mean, what are we sing? We sang all these songs this morning. It's all about glory to God, to God be the glory, this theme of glorifying thy name in all the earth. We never sing songs, glorify me in all the earth, Lord. I mean, we just don't sing that. But here's Jesus praying in his sacred moment. It's, Father, glorify me so that I may glorify you. And as we eavesdrop in on this intimate moment within God's self, we see this, this dance of mutual glory, this, this dance of God savoring God. God is not an unhappy, lonely being. <laughs> God is enjoying God forever and ever. God's, what does God do when he gets up every day? He enjoys God, and he delights in God. And, and Jesus is saying, now cover me again with that glory that I had with you before the world. Let the glory dance continue. Let the glory party proceed again. Lord, Father, glorify me. So let's look at the two halves of the dance, the, the, the two steps in this dance. There's the prayer of the Son, Father, glorify me. And then there's what the Son wants to do, so that, as a result, I may glorify you. So I, I just want to look at these two movements. And, and let's start with the first one, Father, glorify the Son, what, Jesus' prayer. And I want to ask an interpretive question that will hopefully unlock each, half, each halves of the dance. The first one is, why does Jesus ask to be glorified? Again, it strikes us a little strange that the Son would pray, glorify me. But why does the Son ask to be glorified? On what basis is he saying, glorify me? Because he says it in, it's his prayer request. You know, again, verse 1, glorify your Son. That's the prayer request. It's repeated in verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me. And we get a little bit more. In the presence of in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So he's looking to go back to heaven, and he's saying, glorify me, but that same glory I used to have before I came here. Return me to that glory. Why is he praying that? Why does he want to have that glory again? Is it because he's just kind of sick of it here? Like, you know, I came down here... It's been a long time. I really would like to get back to my glory. Thank you very much. Is Jesus like a businessman who's been on a long trip? You know, he's been at a, an expo in Las Vegas for a week. And it's like, I just want to get back home. I want to get back in my own bed. I want to get back to my glory. 
uh, you know, please get me out of here. Beam me up, Lord. I, planet Earth is not what it was all cracked up to be. It, it, you know, is that it? No, no, no. It's not that he's sick of it or he's tired or he's just burned out. He wants to return to his glory because that is the reward owed him for completing the mission of saving sinners. Jesus has accomplished a mission, and the plan was that because of him accomplishing the mission, he would be crowned with glory. You know, look again at the text here. It's the saving of sinners like me that's the reason he should be glorified. He says in verse 1, Father, the time has come. It's an unfortunate translation. The, the Greek word is literally hour. Father, the hour has come. An hour can mean time in Greek, but you know, the, the word hour in Greek, in, in, in John rather, always refers to the upcoming crucifixion. So, so he's saying, the time of my crucifixion has come. This thing that I've come into the world to do is here. And in light of that, glorify my name. Do you see that? So it's glorify me because I'm just about to finish the work you gave me. Verse, uh, look at verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, has he completed it totally? No, 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 not quite yet. He's still got to go to the cross. He's still going to say it is finished. But, but there's a sense in which the son is so close to completing the mission that, that he's so certain that he's going to finish it that, that he's kind of speaking about a future event as if it's kind of a past tense. It, it's sort of a grammatical uh, w- way of expressing certainty. You know, it, it is so certain that this is a done deal that I can almost say I've completed the work, even though he technically still has to go to the cross. But he's done it, and that's why he wants to be glorified. Or look at verse 2. You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. So glorify me, verse 2, for because of this mission to to grant eternal life to all those that you have given him. You've granted him authority over all people so he could give eternal life. That was his mission, and he's done it. He's secured it almost. He's about to go to the cross. He's going to rise again. And so because he's fulfilled the mission. So, so you kind of get this picture that before time, the father and the son determined to save some people. And part of that plan was that the son would come and die, and as a result of the, the son's work, he would be glorified. Um, I, I, you know, when I, as I read these five verses, I just can't help but think of Philippians chapter 2. Put a bookmark here and turn to, to Philippians chapter 2 real quick. Tell me, doesn't this just sound similar? Philippians 2. I think, I think it's a, a great echo of the same themes that helps us put it all together in an orderly way. Philippians chapter 2, it's on page 1162. The Apostle Paul says in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, he had glory with the Father, he was God before the world began, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, didn't stay there, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. You see that obedient? He's fulfilling the mission to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place. That's glory. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, so there's the movement. He had glory. He laid it down in an obedient purpose to save me and you. He died and he was raised, and as a result, the Father has honored him with glory. So when the Son is praying here, going back to John 17, glorify me, it's not just, look, I'm sick of this, I'm tired of living down here. It's, I have done it. Mission accomplished. And now, let the next phase begin, which is my glory over all the earth, all authority over all people to give eternal life to those whom the Father has given to him. How does, that, how does that strike you when you hear Jesus pray like that? What is that? How do you react hearing that prayer from Jesus to the Father? Because I'll tell you this. One of the ways you can know if you're really a Christian, I mean, how do you know if you're really a Christian? Are, are the true Christians the people who come to church on snowy days? You know, it's like, does that make us real Christians? You know, are, are true Christ, you know is, is my true Christianity proven by how much I whether or not I give, you know, when the offering plate comes around. You know what? I mean, it could, this can be evidence of Christianity, but what makes a person really a Christian? How do you know? Can I give you from this text a diagnostic for true Christianity? A true Christian is somebody who when they hear Jesus praying, Father, glorify the Son, the true Christian says in his heart or her heart, Amen! Amen to that prayer. The true Christian wants Jesus to be glorified. The true Christian doesn't hear that and say, well, what's, what's he all uppity about? That's a weird prayer. That's kind of strange, sort of egotistical. Real Christians hear that and they say, yes, I want Christ lifted higher. I want him glorified more. This is, this is my heart's cry to see his glory. He saved me. I'm so in awe of him. And, and so our, our whole lives become about glorifying the Lord Jesus. It, it becomes the way we live our lives. That, that's why we, we gather weekly with other Christians to, to join our voices together in making much of him, to take all of our hearts and all of our, our voices and all of our minds and, and our resources and our words and everything, and every Sunday get together and kind of shine that big spotlight of our affections onto Jesus through our singing and through our worship. But not just on Sunday morning, right? It's, it's our whole lives. You know, worship is not something you do just on a Sunday morning. If, you know, if, if, if you're coming to worship services and feeling kind of disconnected and feeling like it's hard to worship God, it's, it's, ah, it's not getting it, it's probably because you're not worshiping Monday through Saturday. You know, the way you get ready to worship on Sunday isn't to walk into a worship service where, where you kind of hear what you want to hear and say, okay, well, they help me worship. The, the way you worship well on Sunday is by living a life of worship Monday through Saturday so that Sunday is just where we all show up and kind of spill over what we've been doing all week together individually. It, worship is a 24-7 kind of thing. You know, 24-7 is almost kind of overused, but for worship it really is. My whole life all week is about glorifying Jesus. That, that's why I want to tell other people about Jesus is because I want them to glorify him too. 
You know, what grieves me about the South Shore it sh- shouldn't just be the, I don't know, low church attendance rate or the divorce rate or the alcoholism rate or the, you know, school dropout rate. I mean, those are bad rates. But what really should grieve me is the, the low Jesus worship rate. How low is the, the worship of Christ? But when I'm swept up in his salvation and I see what he's done for me, I want to glorify him in everything that I do. Glorifying Jesus is almost like a mission statement for each of our lives in whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you are a business person, whether you stay at home, maybe you're retired, maybe you're just a kid in school or, or elementary school, this is, this is our mission, is to glorify Christ in all things so that we add our voice and our amen and our lives to this prayer that says, glorify the Son, glorify the Son. So Jesus prays, Father, glorify me. Make much of me. Oh, you know, I, it's almost like you got to just stop right there and be like, that is so awesome. That is so big. That's so great. There couldn't possibly anything more. But look, there is. Because after he prays, Father, glorify the Son, what's the other half of the dance? So that the Son may glorify the Father. So it goes back the other way. Father, glorify me and I'll glorify you. So, so we ask the interpretive question, why should the Father glorify the Son? And it's because the Son has accomplished the mission of saving people like us. But now, here's the follow-up question. How then will the Son, once glorified, glorify the Father? You know, how, how does that take place? Because you know, it's like the, the son says, Father, glorify me. And so the father puts him at the highest place, gives him the name that is above every name. And just when we thought we were at the highest possible pinnacle of glory, the son says, and now, Father, I'm going to lift you up even higher. Like, I didn't know there was a higher, you know. But somehow there is. Father, I want to lift you up higher. So how does he do it? How is the father lifted up by the son and glorified by the son? And I think, again, the answer has to do with the mission of Jesus. That the Father is glorified as Jesus takes all the people who he saved and he brings them in to help worship the Father. So it has to do with us again. <laughs> you know, the, the Son is glorified because the Son has saved us. And the Father is glorified as we're gathered together as a people to join in the worship of the Father and the Son. I, it's so hard to express all this. It's so sublime. But it's awesome. You know, look, look again at the verse. Verse 2. He says, You granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to those who have given him. So there's Jesus saving us, giving us eternal life. But it raises the question, what's eternal life? What, what is it that he's saving us to do? Verse 3, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know, we celebrate the gospel. Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Yes, we celebrate that, we sing it. But sometimes we forget, why did he do it? It's so that we could know the Father. You know, what's eternal life? Eternal life is not so much everlasting life, it's more um, as, as Don Carson says, it's knowledge of the everlasting God. That's what makes eternal life eternal life. 
you know, we have different uh, cultural images of, of eternal life. You know, what happens when you die? And we have all these cultural kind of ideas that float around, and none of them, frankly, are really that exciting to me. Uh, you know, there's the, the kind of Buddha one. You guys have seen the Buddha statues. People have them in the yard, and Buddha's there. I'm not going to try to sit cross like I couldn't even get close. But, uh, you know, he sits there in the lotus position. His hands are down, and his eyes are closed, and he's got a little smirk on his face. It's kind of that knowing smile of enlightenment. And, uh, and, and it's because he's come to the, the wonderful realization that all is an illusion, and that even self is an illusion. And, and when he reaches that moment of enlightenment, he gets that little hmm on his face. And, you know, I, I just look at the, the statue, and I'm like, really? That, that's it. That's, that's the whole thing, is to realize everything's an illusion, and kind of be like, hmm, oh, well. You know, I, I, it never makes sense to me. I, I don't, that doesn't draw me forward. Or sometimes, you know, we, we have another vision of the afterlife. It's the one I, I got as a little kid watching cartoons. You know, I was kind of a cartoonaholic as a kid, and, and uh, eventually someone would get blown up in a cartoon, you know, Bugs Bunny or Sylvester or somebody, and they'd be on a cloud strumming a harp, you know, floating around. And, and you know, it's like, okay, that's heaven. Wow, that looks boring. <laughs> okay. You know, like, uh, that's it. There's another image of, of eternal life that's in our culture. I say this is the one that I think most adults think about today, which is... Um, it, this kind of eternal family reunion. Right? You, you know, can't wait we get there. I'm going to see uncle, uncle so-and-so and grandma this person. And, and that's how we talk about it. Well, someday we'll see him again and we'll cross that river and we'll step off and we'll be a big, we'll all be back together again. And I think I'm like, really? That's, that's heaven because I, we didn't get along with each other here. Really? You, you forgot about Thanksgiving three years ago? You, you want to be together? I thought that was the pro- I thought that's what made Earth hell, was the way we all treat each other, and so now we're going to get thrown together forever and won't be able to die. Like, woo, you know, family reunion except shinier. I just it doesn't work, you know, because we, we kind of nostalgize, of course, people who pass away, but we forget that our relationships here were broken. They were sources of pain. It was not heaven on earth in our relationships. We long for something else. And here's a different vision of eternal life. This is what we're being saved for by Jesus. It's to know God. And you say, well, why is that exciting? It kind of sounds bland to me too. Well, let me put it this way. Imagine if I, uh, I said, hey, come over to my house Tuesday and I want you to have for dinner. I want to have you over for dinner. And you said, oh, I got plans. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm telling you, be at my house. I'm telling you, be at my house. Why? I can't say, just come, all right? I, I, that's all I can say. So you're like, okay. So, you, you know, it's Tuesday night. You cancel your plans. You come to my house. You knock at the door. You walk in, and, and it's, it's you, and I have as my guests Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And you're like, how did you get them here? I'm like, it's a long story. I can't explain it, but we're just going to have dinner. And you're like, what? I can't believe it. And you have three hours to just pick their brains about the Patriots and this and that and, you know, what's it like to be some of the greatest sports heroes in history. And, and, and you know, imagine the conversation just goes so well that afterwards you're trading cell phone numbers and you become like, you know, Tom Brady's text buddy. What's up? I can't believe you did that pass. Leave me alone, you know. And, you're, you become, and you know, you're Snapchatting each other like, ah, you know. And, 
You know, just imagine you, you get this friendship going, and, and you can't tell anyone. It would be impossible. She'd be like, i got to tell somebody. This is the most amazing thing. Like, dude, dude, you can't tell anybody. I'm best friends with Tom Brady. No, you're not. No, look. Look at the pictures, you know. Like, you'd be going crazy with that for a while. And then probably he'd get old. Like, who is it? Oh, it's Tom again. I, you know, this is like the 10th time he's texting me today. I've got to put this on hold. And eventually, even relationships like that would get old. But we would love to know certain people. Maybe for you, it's not Tom Brady. I'll be honest, it's not really for me either. But, but let's say it's, it's a politician or an actor or, or some person you've studied, a, a great influential person in history. Who, who would it be that would wow you? You know, that's the idea. It's a relationship, but not with a sports star, not with a pastor, not with a, a politician. It's an eternal relationship with the guy who never gets boring, who you never can get to the bottom of, who never loses that wow factor, who the more you know him, the bigger it gets, that, that the further down you go, the deeper it becomes in front of you. The higher up you go, the more he opens up in amazing glory. It, you know, the, the, the broader the, the island of the knowledge of God the longer the shoreline of things that you don't know and you want to know. And so with God, there's never a sense of being full. You never get full being with God. Like, well, that's enough. I think I get it. I'm on to the next thing. It's eternally further on, deeper, higher, more knowledge of Him, eternally satisfying our souls. That's what he saved us for. And so the, the son is glorified because he has rescued people like us and brought us to dinner with God. And the father is glorified as the son brings us this whole crowd into the dinner. I brought them. I brought the ones we, went, we planned to save. Every single one of them's here. And as we're here now, we're at the dinner table with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And, and now it's not just the Father, Son, and the Spirit enjoying and glorifying one another, but there's this whole host of ransomed sinners who are joining in to the wonder and awe. And so the Son is glorifying the Father by bringing the redeemed into that fellowship. And that's our future. This is what He's done for us. This is what's coming. It's amazing. Or to put it this way, God's glory and your happiness are the same thing. They're not different things. They're all the same thing. That as we are happier and happier in God, He is more and more lifted up. Or to quote the famous John Piper uh, dictum, uh, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. In eternal life is God's glory forever shining and our happiness and delight growing and growing without end forever and ever. And the cool thing is, is that eternal life begins now. It's not just something for the future, even though it's for the future. But it's already started. Go back to John 5, and I'll just close with this verse. Look at John chapter 5. Verse 24. A little review here. John five twenty four. I tell you the truth. 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So if you hear this word that Jesus is the Savior and you believe, you have it now. You will not be condemned. You have, he has, past tense, crossed over from death to life. And so even the full flowering, even though the full flowering of eternal life is something still in the future for us, when you believe in Christ, you enter the eternal life now. You, you be, because what is eternal life? To know the Father and to know Jesus. And we start that relationship now. If we don't know it fully, as it says in Corinthians, we see through a glass dimly. I feel like my knowledge of God is, is such a, you, you know, it's, it's, it's like a car trying to start on a cold morning. No, 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 no. You know, and I, I feel like it's, sometimes I really know him, and other times it kind of dies. And, but it's, it's happening. It's going to happen. God is helping us. And we're going to know him someday. We already know him. And so if you have faith in Christ, you can start that eternal life now. Wherever you're at, if you repent from your sins and believe in him, lay hold of that eternal life. And even we as Christians, we, we can enter into that eternal life now. And again, that just reshapes your Monday through Saturday. Because we're now living this life where we're growing in the knowledge of God. Sunday mornings as we worship Monday through Saturday, as we learn to trust him through all the trials of life, as we pray, as we pray out loud together as Christians, sharing our knowledge of him with one another. And it's a journey that even when it reaches its conclusion, will have just begun forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I I pray that you would just take these truths and and somehow expand our hearts and our minds to receive them. I, I, I just feel, Lord, it's so hard to articulate your glory, to articulate great eternal things. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word and take my uh, infantile attempts to explain your glory, and that somehow, Lord, you would supernaturally jumpstart that battery and cause us to be uh, turned on with affections for you. Lord, I pray for the the people in this church who have come here today and for those who couldn't come here today, that you would make this a church where we are a people who are learning to glorify you, not just Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday. Help us to be a people who are learning to savor Jesus. Help us to be a people who are learning to lay aside the things of this world that do not satisfy and to find our ultimate happiness in you. God, I pray that you would teach us to pray together as a church, out loud. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to uh, be concerned for people's souls. God, help us to love you and to love your glory. God, I pray that your glory would be the thing that people who come to our congregation most sense, even if they don't know what it is they're sensing. Pray that your glory would shine here and may it shine in our lives as we are drawn closer and closer to you every day. Lord, be with our brother Elliot. Again, we just want to lift him up as he lost his wife, Karen. Thank you, Lord, that Karen is seeing your glory. Oh, Lord, it gives us such hope. We pray that as we have a memorial service at 2 o'clock today, that we would see your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.